Welcome to another episode of Hot Mass Espresso. Let's get into this week. You guys, we have a reality personality with multiple rare and chronic diseases. She's a chronic pain educator, pain patient advocate, motivational speaker, and best-selling author on pain topics. She's also a cheerleader of hope. Please welcome Barbie Engel. Barbie, thanks for hopping on. Oh, thank you so much, Heather. I'm so excited to be here and glad to be sharing, and I appreciate the time you're giving me. No, I, I, I appreciate you. So um, tell us a little bit about your story. I have actually been living with rare diseases for over 20 years. The worst one is uh, one that goes by multiple names because it's a rare disease and every doctor thinks they're finding something new, so they keep giving it a new name. <laughs> but it's most known by <laughs> it's most known by reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And anything in your body that's automatic is your reflexes. So minor or haywire swallowing can be a challenge. Uh, blinking, uh, eyes crying, all challenges for me. Sympathetic is my nervous system. It feels like somebody put lighter fluid in my veins, and I constantly feel like I'm on fire, yet I'm freezing at the same time. So I am either wearing uh, long sleeves, long pants, uh, have a blanket with me, a jacket, something, because I'm always cold. And then dystrophy is loss of muscle and bone. And due to that, I got dystonia where my body locks up, and... Um, have spent uh, years bed-bound and wheelchair-bound, and finally found treatment and started living life again. And one of the things I love and have loved during this this time is reality television. So I uh, started trying out for shows and actually landed a few. So I, I kind of get to live like there's no tomorrow every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. What, wait, what are what are some of your favorite reality shows to actually like watch versus being on? Okay, so um, I love watching Big Brother, Amazing Race, Survivor, so the competition type shows. But I also like mm. American Idol, and I've been to many of the American Idol uh, finales and some of the shows, and have actually got to. Um, Meet and become friends with Paula Abdul, and uh, I got to meet Jayla, and I got to meet Ryan Seacrest, and um, so I really like American Idol of yesteryear, not necessarily um, the current American Idol, but I do. Right. Just not so so into it, and um, and I used to be a singer, but I've had over thirty nine um, neck procedures, right. procedures. Mm-hmm due to my rare disease, and so I no longer sing on key myself, <laughs> but I love watching other people perform and, and act, so America's Got Talent, although I haven't ever gone to that live, uh, I do like watching it on TV, and, um, but then when it comes to doing reality, the thing, the thing that I like to do is be myself, and not have to act or remember, and um, but even with reality, it's the seed of truth with a storyline and a producer telling you, okay, you did it your way first, now try doing it this way. And by the sixth take, it's a completely different thing than you would have done. But it's still fun, and it helps me raise awareness. So that's why I got into sharing my story and doing reality and, and uh, getting involved in, in those type of ways. So it's more living my own life, like kind of like the Kardashians, although that is set up. Reality as well. Gotcha. Yeah, we. I, I. The Kardashians is a guilty pleasure over here. I. I'm yes. sure I'm gonna get a lot of flack for it, but 
I, honestly, I just my 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 family is just the slightly funnier and like you know way lower tax bracket version of the Kardashians, so it works out well for us. But awesome. But what's the process of getting diagnosed with RSD? Um, and you had touched on it. The do you find that the doctors co- that you come into contact with they obviously they think that they've discovered something like profound and, you know, so you kind of touched on that, but what is the process of getting diagnosed? So for me, it took 43 doctors. The first 42 got it wrong and I was over-treated, under-treated, mistreated. And by the time I get to the 43rd doctor, he actually knew something, but he didn't know everything. And he recognized that in himself, which was unique and rare as well. And, uh, to, to diagnose me, what he did was he went through all my history. He had me give him all of my records from the first 42 providers. And he went through all of that. And then he offered me a test called a nerve block. And uh, it's a procedure that took about 45 minutes. And uh, they were able, I was, my arm was curled up and um, had severe burning fire pain. And my pain level was about a 9 out of 10 scale. And um, he gave me that test, and for about three hours, I could straighten my arm and move it around and lift it above my head, and then the nerve block wore off, and it curled right back up. So, so in that three hours, it had been a couple of years since I had had that full range of motion, and um, so I was doing things that I wouldn't normally have been able to do, so I definitely had a rebound effect and the pain was actually worse my scale of one to ten changed in in that moment after the the nerve block wore off um but that was how he diagnosed me now they can use thermal thermal imaging to diagnose it and that is uh, more accurate than any other tests on earth although this past uh, week there was a study that came out of the uk that they found three genes related to um the genetic portion of the disease, which up until last week, they didn't, they would say that they don't think there's a genetic component, although I have multiple family members um, that live with it. So there, there is a genetic component, but until last week, now they know specifically what genes they're looking for in diagnosing it. So I think over the 20 years since I've been diagnosed, or since I've had it, and, and 17 years of being diagnosed, it's gotten better, and I've seen progress in uh, diagnosing it and treating it, but sometimes I also feel like we're moving backwards and things that that were already done, accomplished, and we can move forward from when a new provider says, oh, I got this new disease and now it's complex regional pain syndrome, but there's nothing regional about it. It's in our blood. It it literally makes us move backwards in in, um, treatment. And it's been a disease that's been known since the Civil War but it, you know, the first name for it was causalgia, but it's gone through like sympathetically mediated pain, sympathetically independent pain, um, uh, uh, no autoimmune disease. Like it's gone through all these different right. terms. Term. So I like the, the term RSD the best, RSD for short, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And um, because it, to me, that most describes all of the different variations and symptoms that we go through. Right. And I know that you had mentioned uh, when we talked previously um, that they're finding it a lot in 
active duty military and veterans. And can you expand on that a little bit? Because I know when we had talked, I was incredibly interested in that. And I just think that would be good information for other people to know. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. They say 54% of our soldiers that are coming back from the Middle East are that are coming back with injuries are developing RSD and uh, it's affecting their lives. And if we knew, um, and blood tests are, are in the works and, and coming to diagnose it, but at this point we don't really have that, especially here in the United States. We would be able to tell a veteran before they even entered into the military, hey, you have this in your blood, like maybe like Lyme disease, so we know you're going to have symptoms at some point. We need you to avoid trauma. They could put put the veterans into less traumatic situations or um, less chemical situations. A lot of uh, patients also are found to have a lot of exposure environmentally to toxins such as um, uh, mosquito spray or um, pesticides. Uh, in our house, yards, environment. Um, as a child, I used to chase the mosquito man, and on, on my bike, riding behind him, yelling out "Mosquito man, mosquito man!" for everybody else. Oh God! <laughs> um, so they were in their houses, but yet I didn't know better than to not ride behind the mosquito man so right. I can get all of that uh, pesticide on me. So. And, and my siblings did that with me, and uh, my oldest one had the least exposure. My father was in Vietnam and was ex- and was um, exposed to Agent Orange, mm-hmm. and um, that is also another consideration of, of people that are getting diagnosed, especially military, what chemicals were they exposed to, is something happening with their DNA that's passing down to the children, and that, that research is going on now. That is just that is uh, yeah that that is just fascinating. When you had mentioned, you know, when you were giving me all the facts and figures, and you said military, I was like, wait, what? Because we don't really nobody really talks about things that affect. Um, that those would be like the kind of the last people that you would expect would have kind of a. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, it was just it was, it was an it yeah that in and, and there's a lot of people that are of asian descent that get this disease even more than caucasian so mm. it's, it's definitely um what is happening in these other countries pollution wise environment wise genetically that is exposing our soldiers to this disease and and having their rest of their life affected they live through war they live through all this trauma yet they come back with this disease and now they have a whole new set of challenges to face yeah that's that's crazy but to kind of to just circle back to i mean i that is fascinating but you you are the main you are the main guest here so with that being said um how has being diagnosed with a rare and complicated disease as you know rare and complicated as RSD is, how has it shaped or altered your view of modern medicine? Uh, I learned that modern medicine is working exactly as designed, very poorly. Yep. (laughs) It's it's actually really difficult to get access to proper and timely care, and even more so individualized care. You can have two people with the exact same disease, and it's affecting each of you a little bit differently based on your lifestyle, environment, genetics. And, and when providers don't look at us as individual people and what challenges do we need to have help with and assistance with, 
and they only give us a little bit of time when we're in their office, it really can affect the outcomes and the care and, and for some people, the willingness to live or move on or move forward or other patients just give up on the medical system and say, I don't want to, anything to do with the medical system. I'm just going to suffer until I die. And for me, I, I want to live the most life I can. So I am constantly searching and researching to find the options and choices. And if I can't find something, I try to create it. For instance, uh, it, doctors do not tell me this. They, the, the doctors do not say, oh, you have this rare disease and this is how you're going to live life now. They were like, you have this rare disease now, go we'll figure out life. Yeah, that's we love that. To, that's not how our system should be designed. It should be designed for us to help each other, help humanity, help society, so that we can all bolster society and all live better lives. And the, our health system is definitely not designed to, to do that. Whereas other countries, um, we're, we're ranked like in the 30s of, of healthcare out of all the, the first world countries in the world. So why are we number 30 when we're supposed to be America the Great? <laughs> it's, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work like that. So we have to find the tools or create the tools that we need in our life to, to live better lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so in your opinion, then how do you how do you think chronic pain and a complicated health journey can change one's mental health? And then to jump off of that, how did how did it change your mental health? It affects every aspect of my life, including mental health. When when I first didn't, I wasn't getting diagnosed, I wasn't getting proper and timely treatment, I was questioning myself. What am I going through? Why am I going through this? How do I get past this? The more I fought, the more I got pulled down like crabs in a bucket. They're all boiling and someone tries to escape and the other crabs pull them back down. Like, you're not going anywhere. If we're going to die, you're going to die. Let's all do it together. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it really affected my mental health, and I had to restructure and organize my life. Prior to getting RSD, I was very athletic. I was a head coach at a university for cheerleading and dance, and I never thought that an eight-second accident could trigger this rare disease in my body and, and change my, my life and my physical abilities. So when it changed my physical abilities, it also affected me with my mental health, and I had to learn to build myself back up. One of the things I did was go to counseling, and one of my counselors taught me an exercise called I Am. And he would have me, uh, the first time he, was, he sent me home with homework, and he said, write down as many I Am's as you can think of. And I went home, and I was like, I suck. <laughs> I am nothing. And he was like, no, that's not the type of No, I no, no, that's me. not what we meant. <laughs> That is not the homework assignment. Uh, and he called me about three days in. He was like, you're coming in for your next appointment in a few days. I just want to make sure your list is going well. And I was like, I literally don't have one positive I am. I lost everything. I, I suck. And he was like, no, no, you don't. So let's let's search out. And he's like, you're spiritual. So let's, let's write down that that can be your first I am. I am spiritual. And start thinking about who you are deep inside versus what you do. And disconnect the, the coaching and, and, and the leadership from who you are as a human being. 
And when I started to do that, I things started flowing. I am cheerful and I am bubbly and and uh, I am confident. And things that I don't always feel confident, but I have confidence in me. So I put these things on my list. And by the time I got to his office at the, at the end of the week, I had about 50 things on my list. And by the time I left his office, I had about 75 things on my list. And now, 20 years later, I have over 150 IMs. And when I'm having a bad time or something brings me down medically, mentally, on online social media, haters, whatever it is, I can go to my list and remind myself, I am all these things. I may not be all these things in this moment, but I possess all of these things in my being. And that allows me to do things in life and live more life. And so I really had to, to grab onto those tools that I was taught and tools that I could could create and find new ways to live. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was about to ask that, too. Like, are there some days that the I am's don't work? Like, you get to number four and you're like, screw this. Like, I'm just not doing it. Are there other days that you have those? Or do you just kind of, like, force yourself to go through them? No, I, I still read them and, and remind myself. And, and sometimes I have to go to a mirror and stand in the mirror and tell myself my I am's and really visualize it. Sometimes I cannot get out of bed and I have to give myself grace and I have to let go of the guilt of not being able to live life to the fullest in that moment or redefine how I'm living life to the fullest and say, okay, I might not be able to get out of bed today or my arm might be curled up today or, or I, I can't use my foot today. Yet, I can come up with other things and think about when I am feeling better, I am going to do X, Y, and Z and write those things down so I don't forget them so that one day can accomplish them, but give myself the grace to know I don't have to be on every single moment, and I am going to fail every single day at different things that I try, but I have the the grace to get through that, and I also let go of the guilt, and I actually, like, if I feel like I'm getting guilt from somebody else, or I'm putting guilt on myself, I will grab that invisible guilt off of my chest, because that's usually where I feel it. Yep. I will grab it and I will put it away from my body and and throw it. Or I will rub my hands together if I have anxiety and throw it out away from my body and, and away from my being so that I can let go of that anxiety, let go of stress, guilt, anything negative that is holding me down and say, all right, today I'm just in, in bed. Today I am going to watch movies because mentally I can't stay focused or uh, active or whatever it is that I really wanted to do that day, and you have to recognize it, work through it, hear myself to and through it, and realize that every you know it's just when you're going through life, it's like a football game. <laughs> yeah. I, I compare it to a football game. My dad said, "How do you cheer yourself on? How do you cheer the crowd on when you're losing fifty to zero? And after I got this rare disease, I said. I, I'm, I am the game, and my game is life, and I might lose a quarter, I might lose a play, but in life, I want to win, so what do I have to do in this moment to make the next moment better? And I stopped looking at a 24-hour clock and, and started looking at, this is the moment I'm in, how can I make this moment be the best it can be, versus trying to fit all this stuff into a day and not being able to, and then going, I failed today. 
Yeah, that is I can say. so important. So important, I feel. Especially for anybody dealing with like a chronic or suddenly chronic illness. It's so important to give yourself give yourself those days, but also realize that that's not, that's not how it always is. Cause I know I struggle. I struggle with my chronic illnesses all the time. There are some days where I am just like depressed and I give myself the day and then I'm like, okay, tomorrow we're going to feel differently today. I'm going to feel like absolute shit about this, but tomorrow's going to be different because <laughs> it has to be. Or even by like 6 p.m. You might go, oh, hey, I can still accomplish this one thing today. Yes. I, I want to do 10, but cheer yourself on to accomplish the one thing and be proud of, of accomplishing that one thing. You don't have to accomplish all 10 things. Tomorrow will be here, and if not, then you'll, you'll be in heaven or wherever you go. Right, <laughs> exactly. Wherever you go, you, you don't have to worry about these earthly things anymore. Right. So know that okay i went to bed and my desk is is a mess or my computer is a mess or i didn't get the social media post up that i wanted to get up or even sometimes on on a bad day if i'm able i will post a picture of myself when i had a good day Mm -hmm. that's a reminder to me and others that i do have good days even though this moment sucks or when i'm having a really good day that's when i will post my times when I was having my hardest challenges because I have the strength to recognize, hey, I came from there and now I'm here. And other people can do that too. Is you know, a, a lot of people will look at you like you're climbing a mountain and they'll look up and they'll be like, Oh, I want to be where that person is at the top of the mountain and really you feel like you're in a valley in your own life, but what other people see is that you're at a peak of something. Mm-hmm. And that's where they wish to be and recognizing that it doesn't have to compare to somebody else. Your peak is somebody else's valley and vice versa. And be okay with where you are and let yourself experience that mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever manifestation it comes in. Experience it. If you don't like it, work to find other ways to get through it when you can. But know that in that moment, you're still a, a person with worth and, and you can get through it. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, what are like what are some ways that people navigating the healthcare system for the first time after a major health change, whether it be a sudden disability, a sudden, you know, chronic illness, which I mean, when you get a sudden chronic illness uh, diagnosis, there's nothing sudden about it. But when you kind of have that that label or that diagnosis kind of slapped on and you realize that this is not going to get better. Like this is not going to, you know, this kind of is what it is at this point. Um, What are some ways that people navigating all of that, how can they better advocate for themselves as somebody who's done that work? (laughs) Yes. Uh, First off, when you are diagnosed, it's like learning a whole new language. Do you speak English? All of a sudden, everybody around you is speaking Spanish, and, and you don't necessarily understand, or you can pick out a few words. So start recognizing the words and understanding what language that your provider is speaking. And if you don't understand, write the words down. Go look it up. Advocate for yourself in doing research and talking to others with a similar condition that have been through that challenge. And the same way that, that they found what works for them, you have to find what works for you. So I say create an oasis around yourself. 
where you have these tools, like when I was bed bound for years, on my nightstands and actually on my bed, I would have tools that I needed. So when when my husband was leaving or whoever was caregiving for me at my at that time, my, my dad or my sister, whoever was there, they could go and be themselves also because they still need my caregivers yes. to live their but I needed to have that oasis around me so I had the tools and I could look and visually see, oh, I have a heating pad here. I have a, a massage ta- a massage or a tins unit or whatever it is that you need in your life. Build those things around you so they're, they're within your reach that you can see them. Don't feel like you need to put them all away and hide them. Use those tools to give yourself more life. And, um, and then uh, reach out and seek help. help. A lot of times people are afraid to ask for help, we need to be able to recognize and learn and take the time to learn, which for me was journaling. I journaled and said, these are the activities I did today. These things made me worse. These things helped me feel better. These are the, the medications I tried, the healing I tried. And so, oh, on these things I did this, and I started seeing a pattern over time I knew that if I wanted to have better days, I could do these things and have some better days, some better moments, some better time. And so that, that journaling and organizing. And then I also, I didn't do this for a few years, about about three years. Just before I got diagnosed, I started ordering all my medical records, and I saw tons of mistakes in my medical records. And I realized that providers are there to help you, <laughs> um, but they're a tool. And they can also make mistakes. So I would not understand why doctors weren't understanding when I would say my right arm and they were, somebody wrote down left leg or left foot and I'm there about my arm or my breathing and they're totally looking at a different body part thinking that that is where it's coming from and not able to see the, the big picture. When I went through my records, I started writing down all the mistakes Yes. And it took a long time, especially because I hadn't done it for three years. And I had, you know, in that first three years, it was like half a million dollars in medical bills. My my pile of medical bills was about three feet tall. Now it's over five feet tall. And I wrote to each provider as I had the energy and, and took the time and said, on this day, I saw you and this needs to be fixed. It says this. It should say that. And... Uh, then I learned that providers can't change your records. What's in your record is going to stay. So then I learned to say, please attach this correction to my permanent record. Yes. And when that when those records would get passed on to new providers, my my corrections were in that record, and the new provider could see. Oh, it wasn't her foot she was going into be seen for. It was her right lung. They, they could see these types of mistakes, and right. it also it also helped me with my medical bills. And I would pay the medical bills up until I ran out of money. Um, I would pay the medical bills without question. The right. doctor knows what to bill you, but really they have a billing department that doesn't know what the doctor did necessarily, and they're trying to go through these notes that aren't necessarily correct and come up with billing codes to match. So I started waiting for my explanation of benefits to come from insurance to really look at what the, they said that they did and what they actually did, have it corrected if there was mistakes. But I also learned to look for if your name is misspelled, if your birthday is, is incorrect, if your uh, insurance code is, is incorrect, um, your, your um, ID 
you know, right. insurance ID is correct. All of those things matter, and insurance pays differently based on the codes that they're given. And for instance, if a, if a doctor says you need this medication, and then the pharmacy uh, changes it to a generic, and you don't do well, is are they going to pay for it the same? Well, if your doctor marks on on their form no substitution, it can give you the generic price in some cases for the brand name product because your doctor said no substitution. Things like that, checking that work and making sure that all the things are done. Now, again, the sooner you start this process and getting it corrected, the better off you'll be. If you're if you're newly diagnosed, the sooner you start, the better. So start paying attention. Don't pay your bills till your EOB comes, and it'll say patient responsibility, and that's the portion you pay. So I paid two thousand dollars when I only owed twenty, and because the insurance wasn't wasn't inputted correctly or the billing code wasn't inputted correctly. I could have saved tens of thousands of dollars in those first few years, not knowing and understanding the process. So really pay attention to your records and your bills and only pay what your insurance has negotiated for you. And if you need a payment plan or you can't pay it all, say it's a big hospital bill, $20,000, you're supposed to pay 2000 of that. You can always go to the hospital and say, I need a charity case form. Can you help me? Uh, it's usually a one-page form. You fill it out, you turn it in, and then, and then they have a board that decides, yes, this is a charity case, we're going to write off the whole amount, or we're only going to charge you 10% of 20%, or wh whatever it is that, that they come up with based on your situation. But a lot of times, a lot of people don't ask when they need help. Back to you, ask if you need help. A lot of people don't ask, and it's, it's not going to hurt you to ask for a charity case form to complete so that you can navigate your life along because you need to continue your care and the yep. better care you get the better your your treatment's going to be the better you're going to do so asking for those charity cases when you need it asking for help from the people around you when you need it and then also testing your own boundaries as a patient a lot of times we're doing five years later doing the same thing that our doctor told us five years ago and there's new things that came down the pipeline check those out Check your boundaries. What are you doing? Is it the same thing as five years ago? Because there might be something better. Find out and and work to get access to to whatever that new option is. No, those that's all incredibly helpful. And in fact, I I personally with what you just said, I picked up a couple of things that I'm going to be using from here on out. I mean, I knew yeah. I knew getting the medical records, but there were a couple other things that I'm just like, hmm. Like, you know, I know I know a thing or two now. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> well, where can we find you? Like social media, websites, where can we find you? We'll have it all linked below, but still. Awesome. So because there's a, there's a lot. But if you if you Google my name, Barbie Ingle, you'll find a lot of, of ways to connect with me. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, X, I guess, and not, not Twitter. Um, LinkedIn, uh, I think the only social media I'm not on is TikTok. <laughs> I don't dance anymore, so. Um, and um, <laughs> and uh, you can go to my website, barbieingle.com, and I try to make it very linkable and usable from there. So you can read, you know, find out about my books, see what, any projects or upcoming events that I have, as well as I do a lot of outreach with multiple organizations, so you can find that information there. And, 
that's probably the most comprehensive is my website, barbieingle.com. Perfect. 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 Yeah, we will have everything linked, but it's also just, you know, good to for you to say it out loud. But before I let you go, we have a little bit yes. of a rapid fire. And we're gonna nice. do we're gonna do a little bit of fall related, one general, but it's it's gonna be fun. So before I let you go, okay. uh, right. just a little this or that. It's first thing that comes to mind. So, um, movies or TV shows? TV shows. Girl, same. Girl, same. <laughs> um, donuts or muffins? I love a donut, especially Krispy Kreme. Oh. But I'll take any donut. <laughs> right, I'm not picky. <laughs> I'm not picky any donut. Uh, muffins can be like too, too vegetable-y, like carrot cake type of right. muffins. So yeah, I want the sweets. Yep. Yeah, I love a good blueberry muffin, but that's about it. When you throw chocolate chips in there, it's just it's odd. I I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. Nice to chocolate bar. <laughs> so when it comes to flavors, uh, since it's fall, pumpkin or apple? Apple. Yeah. And green apple specifically. Green Ooh, apple. little you like you like a little bite to it. Yes, I like a little bite to it. We, a little zing. A little zing. <laughs> um, so a pumpkin patch or apple picking? Ooh, uh, I like both. I'm going to go with pumpkin patch. Those are pretty fun. I love fun. orange. I love the color orange. And orange is the happiest color, but it also represents chronic pain. And so I, I like orange and so pumpkin patch. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that orange. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. You, you learned something new. Apparently, I'm learning several things today. But <laughs> you learned something new. So last one, hot cider or hot chocolate? Hot chocolate. Yes, hot chocolate with, with a big heaping spoonful of Cool Whip. Oh, yep. Yeah, we got to have the whipped cream on there. It's not yes. the same. No. Or marshmallows, but, but Cool Whip has been my lately. As fall is coming around, I've been I've had hot chocolate a few times already. Even in the warmth of Arizona, I like warmth. And, and oh, yes, a good cup of hot chocolate just can soothe your soul. It, it really does. It just, I don't know. It's just like a big, warm hug. Yes. Not, 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 not to be Olaf right now, but warm hug. It's a warm hug. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. This has been incredibly enlightening on so many levels. And Good. I, and thank I, you so much for and I think your platform is really, really important for people dealing with chronic illness and chronic pain because we're not there's a movement to be heard more but we're still not that heard and so i Absolutely. i think what you're doing is beyond fantastic and it kind of sucks that it's like you know you had to go through everything in order to like be that advocate but i am so grateful that you have used this as a platform to bring awareness to so so many issues, so many, you know, rare diseases and chronic issues. And it's just, it's just, it's so nice to see. And I really, really thank you for taking the time out and talking to me and all, all of the things. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for all that you're doing. Hosting a podcast is really hard and I think you're doing a great job in it and you make it fun and you make it entertaining, but you also make it educational. And I think everybody listening should rate you the top 
scores, five stars, whatever, whatever the top is, you're at the top, and I wish you much success in all you do and appreciate all you're doing to help the, the community, not just the pain community, the rare disease community, but with the podcast, you're reaching out to the world and other people that need to hear this message and don't even necessarily know it will stumble across what you're doing, and what you're doing is appreciated, so remember that as well. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, everyone. Hunter from the Everything is Connected podcast here. Heather from Hot Mass Espresso. And Amber from Connection Over Perfection. You know, in this world of endless chatter, finding genuine conversations can be a challenge. That being said, we introduce Podcast Connection Network, a space where we lay it all out unfiltered. Dive in with us. It's about authentic connections and conversations that truly matter. To learn more about the network and each of our podcasts, click the link in the description below. The Podcast Connection Network. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down.